Hey everyone, this is Joseph Bosco, pastor of Highway Church. Thanks for joining us on our podcast. You know, all of us need the right kind of voices in our lives. Voices that inspire us to know the one who made us. Voices that awaken our divine destiny and reveal to us the goodness of God. Well, that's what this ministry is all about. So enjoy the message. on my phone this morning and said one degree. So I shook it. Maybe I thought it was broken, but stayed, just kept saying one, one degree. So, but it did warm up to seven by the time we left, so that was good. <laughs> Hallelujah. Oh, he'll warm you up. He really will. He'll warm you up. Hallelujah. Let's... Uh, Worship him with the word. Father, we love you. You've been so good. Lord, there are so many things that, uh, so many ideas we've had about you that just weren't true. And regardless of what we've said or done, you love us perfectly. And you fight to reveal yourself to us. You, you, you fight against darkness so that we would know how much you love us. You're the one who fixes what's broken. You're the handyman in us. And we call on you to fix what's broken. You've got the tools, you've got the knowledge, and we surrender our lives to you, Lord. If we're honest, we really don't know what to do. We really don't know what we need to know to move forward. We've got to have you. We've got to be in relationship with your spirit. We cannot rely on our own education or knowledge. We must rely on the direction of your spirit, on the witness of your spirit inside of us. And we are determined to do that. We will go out with joy and be led forth with peace. We thank you, Lord, for your peace acting as the umpire in our decisions. We choose to make decisions that are led and confirmed by the peace of Christ in our hearts. And we give you the liberty to make all things new in our lives. We're not clinging to anything in the past. We know this is a different day. We know this is a new season for new dreams for new possibilities. And we give you our lives and say, lead us. In Jesus' name, amen. Sometimes as human beings, which we all are, we can tend to romanticize our past. And uh, every, you hear people talking about the good old days, right? And, uh, but the truth is we're living in the good old days right now. And sometimes we have a tendency to exalt things from our past at the expense of our future. And I love Paul Brady will be here Friday night. And he says this regularly, and I love it. He says, if your memories are greater than your dreams, you're moving in the wrong direction. And that is so true. If your memories are greater than your dreams... 
you're moving in the wrong direction. So we're moving in the direction of our dreams. And I, I believe in, in Jennifer and Mariah were at a conference this past weekend uh, in the theme, they really talked about new dreams, right. right? New dreams. It is a time for new dreams. It really is. Um, yes, it is. I, I, I would like to believe that, you know, I would have liked to believe that the things that were happening back in March of 2020 weren't going to last long, you know, and all of the ignorance and the darkness and the overreaching policies and the fear and that, that man surely wouldn't continue these things. But here we are, you know, 2021, and as you, as you go around, you see fear has got a grip on so many, you know. Don't just wear one mask, wear two. So silly, right? We're not afraid, right? We're going forward. We're going all the way, but I want to tell you, you're living in a culture of fear. And if you're not set on him and who he is and what he's done for you, you're going to get sucked into it. It is a good fight of faith, but it is a fight. You've got to fight for what God's given you, not because it's not yours, it is yours, but because there's a thief trying to take it from you. He's trying to take from you what Christ purchased for you, and you're the only one that can stop him. It's not up to God. God did everything he could do. All God wants you to do is agree with him. To not agree with the fear and wisdom of man, but to agree with God, with what God has said. We're going to finish up today. We started a series called He Makes All Things New. On the first Sunday of January, we took one, we had one message in there that wasn't part of the series that was called, This Is Your Time. So we're going to finish He Makes All Things New on the 31st of January. Let's read Revelation 21.5. Let's put that up on the screen if we can. I didn't get the scriptures, you guys. I'm sorry if you want to just flow with me. Revelation 21.5. You can probably use, uh, there you go, thank you. This is Jesus talking to the Apostle John. When John was exiled to the Isle of Patmos for his pursuit of Christ. Are you willing to be exiled? To be all alone for your pursuit of Christ? Are you willing, are you willing to lose friends because you love him so much? Of course we are, right? You've never had a friend like Jesus. <laughs> I like the blue genie, but I'm telling you, you've never had a friend like Jesus. Uh, and this is what Jesus says to John. He's, he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, look, keep your eyes on me. I make all things new. You follow what you're looking at, right? So keep your eyes on him. Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. This is the nature of God. The nature of God is to raise the dead. The nature of man is to grieve and mourn and think it's over. The fallen nature. The nature of God is all things are possible. Amen. The nature of God is nothing can defeat us. 
It's good to know this make all things new nature. As you spend time with the one who makes all things new, you, you, the reality of his nature becomes strong in you. And you begin to see things as he sees them. So Revelation 21.5 describes the nature of the one who lives in us. The nature of his love for us. And the results of being in a relationship with him. When you're in a relationship with him, you begin living a new kind of life. I mean, I was radically saved in 1989. And things just fell off of me. But I was radically pursuing him. I left everything. I left all of the religious tradition I was from, all of the advice of my uh, parents, which wasn't godly advice. I love my parents, not putting them down, but they didn't know Jesus. They didn't give me counsel from the written word. They gave me counsel from their own uh, experiences, and it was ungodly counsel, so I had to leave that. I left, left my friend. I just turned from everything and said, God, I want you and it doesn't matter to me where I have to go, what I have to do, who or what I have to walk away from, I want you. And I did. And I started walking. I've never looked back. Except to remember the goodness of God. Right? But John's pursuit of Jesus changed his life. Your pursuit of Jesus will change your life. It's a good kind of change. It's a change that you want. So many believers are trying to live like they used to live and still be a believer, and it doesn't work. When you believe in him and you renew your mind to his word, you're going to change, and the past is going to be gone forever. Hallelujah, and that's a good thing because God is good. He'll never hurt you. There's nothing, anything good you've experienced in your past pales in comparison to what he wants to do for you now. God is love, we've seen in this uh, series, and that when you become grounded in his love, you open the door for him to do new things in your life. But it's all based upon you knowing and believing that he loves you. So important. And religious tradition teaches us otherwise. It teaches us that how, how he loves us is, the, is dependent upon our performance, right? On how many things we get right or how many things we've done right and how many things we've done wrong. But Jesus didn't teach that. He's, in 1 John, the same one who wrote Revelation, Apostle John said it, that God loved us first. Even when we were, I was doing things that were so contrary to him. God hated the sin I was involved in. didn't hate me. Why would he hate sin? Because it destroys people, right? As a parent, I hate anything that would harm my child. And I'll do anything I can to destroy it. That's what a good father does. He protects his children, right? So let's look some more at this at 1 John. 1 John chapter 4. And I hope you're ready. I hope you're religious. You didn't put your religious goggles on, did you? Good, yeah, take them off. Just leave them off. Just put them on eBay, right? <laughs> Facebook Marketplace, you don't need them anymore, right? There will always be someone who wants to buy them, but you don't need them. Charge them a thousand bucks for it, right? Just set it on your porch. They'll come pick it up. We're done with man's traditional views of God. We want the real thing, right? 
1 John 4, verse 9. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us. And then he tells us what this is. That God sent his only begotten son into the world. Why would he do that? Why would he ask his son to lay down his glory and be formed in the womb of a virgin and be born a human being? I I can't think of any greater change than that other than us being born again and becoming one of God's children. Well, he did that so that we might live through him. When? Today, right? So God gave his son. It's so important you understand that. God giving his son was a direct expression to you of his love for you. It was God uh, revealing to you how much he loves you. You personally. Yes, everybody else, but let's just talk about you. Because it's not going to help until you know it in here. This is really, we're going to talk about you knowing him. Right? And on on plane rides, don't they say, if the oxygen mask comes down, if you're traveling with a child, what do you do? You put it on yourself first. People say, well, I wouldn't do that. I'd put it on my child. No, you don't. You put it on yourself first. Why? Because you're no good to your child if you're unconscious, right? You know, you, you can't save someone from drowning unless you know how to swim, right? So lifeguards practice strokes and rescue, and they get really good at it. Why? So they can save people, right? I want you to practice meditating on how much he loves you so you can rescue people. So you can jump into this world and pull people out of the mess they're in with the strength that's in you because you know how much he loves you. That we might live through him. Verse 10, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. Amen. And send his son to be the propitiation for our sins, the payment. So because of what Jesus did, he regained God's favor for us. He regained the life that we lost. And when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you receive from him this new life, this favor And you begin to live in a permanent state of God's favor. When someone loves you, you know that they will do anything for you. Right? Real love. Now, we're all human beings. We have limitations. Sometimes we just can't, you know, we we don't have the resources or do the thing. But we're talking about God now. Right? He loves you and he'd do anything for you. We know that because he gave us his son. Verse 16. And we have known experientially, right? We've experienced and believed that love, the love that God has for us. God is love. Love's not an idea, right? It's not a philosophy. It's not a passing feeling. Love is the person and nature of God. It's who He is. That's what makes a marriage flourish is when the husband and wife are in relationship with the person of love. 
right? And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Now we're getting into something really fun here. So if you have to turn your crank to wake up, go ahead and turn it. Verse 17. Are you ready? You know me. I've got that external defibrillator anointing. Clear. Love has been. That's past tense, right? Perfected among us in this. Now listen to this statement. We're going to break it down. Look at some examples in the Bible. That we may have boldness. Who may have boldness? We. That's you and that's me. Right, Highway family? Online, that's you. That's you, wherever you live. That we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as He is, who's He? Jesus. So are we when we get to heaven. Is that what it says? We have that up there? Oh, it doesn't say that. So are we in this world. <laughs> That's right now. You say, oh, I'll never be like Jesus. You are like Jesus now. You just don't know it yet. See, spiritual things are different, and, and you can't approach them the way that you've approached natural things. Jesus accomplished a finished work. So we're not looking to, for God to pour out His Spirit. I know there's a lot of popular songs that say, pour out your Spirit. He already did. Why would I ask God to do something He already did? We're, we're walking in the poured out-ness of the Holy Spirit, right? We can ask Him to, to you know, move by His Spirit on the unsaved. That's fine. But there are so many things that God did through His Son that Christians are still asking God to do because they don't know it's already done. They'll say, what do you mean it's already done? Look at me. You know, you're not going to see what's already done by looking at yourself. The only way you're going to see what's already done is by looking in the mirror of the written Word of God. You've got your hard copy Bibles, right? You can't live without this. Oh, yes, I can't. No, you can't. Yes, I can't. No, you can't. Yes, I can't. No, you can't. Did you ever watch Elf when he's in the store and his boss is saying, they don't sing at the North Pole. Yes, they do. No, they don't. Yes, they do. No, they don't. You need to watch Elf. <laughs> we haven't watched that today yet, have we? Oh, hallelujah. So, in other words, what Jesus did is already done. You're already redeemed. You're already healed. But you do have to receive it, and you do have to meditate in it. And I was thinking this weekend as we were, as we were driving around, uh, and I was looking in my rearview mirrors. And there have been times when I'm driving, and I never knew this. I, 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 Jennifer had to teach me this when I met her. But I would always set my rearview mirror, you know, to look directly back. And then I'd set my left mirror and my right mirror on the doors to see, this, to see the same thing that my rearview mirror was seeing. So in other words, what I was looking at my rearview mirror, I was, looking, I was seeing the same thing on my sides. 
And she said, I don't know, you said this maybe in the 80s, late, eight, or, uh, late 80s, early 90s when we were driving together. She says, no, 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 you want to set your mirror so it's straight back. And right where that view ends, you want to set your left mirror to continue so you can see everything over here. And then where your rear view mirror ends on your right, you want to set your right to go beyond that to try and cover any blind spots. And you know, when my mirrors aren't set right, I, I, I've come close to running into things. And I'll, I'll, I'll go to change my direction and get in the passing lane, but there's a car in my blind spot that I couldn't see because my mirror wasn't adjusted properly. If you're not looking in the mirror of the written word of God, you're going to get in the wrong lane at the wrong time. And you're going to run into things that you, you shouldn't have run into. So I'm, I'm thinking about this. I'm driving around. I say, you know, we, how, how important mirrors are to get where we need to go. Well, James likens the written word of God as a mirror. Right? You know you've never seen yourself. You've only seen reflections of yourself and images of yourself. I've never seen God with these eyes. But I know him through the mirror of his word, the image of his son that is imparted to me through the Holy Spirit and studying the written word, okay? So you can't tell what's done and who you are by, by looking in a natural mirror, by looking at yourself. You've got to see yourself in the written word of God. Just keep reading it. Incidentally, the one-a-day Bible plan. So we're coming up on our anniversary as a church, our seventh anniversary. And every year since we've started, we've read through the New Testament. So we've read through it seven times. Isn't that awesome? So the new one-a-day, we call it. It's one chapter a day, Monday through Friday. It's easy to do, five days a week. And we start in Matthew 1, and that starts tomorrow. So the new one is printed back there, but it's also on our website. If you go to our homepage, highwaychurch.us, scroll down and click on the link, uh, the one a day, and, and you can download it there. It, it'll show you the reading plan. It's very simple. We start in Matthew 1, and in one year you get all the way through Revelation. We've done it seven times. Pretty good. Hallelujah. Now, so as he is... So are we in this world. Now, this word judgment is interesting. Are you ready for this? Love has been perfected among us that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. I know we think of that, that when he returns, the day of judgment will be bold. But this Greek word is actually the word crisis, K-R-I-S-I-S, where we get our word crisis from. In the day of crisis, we will have boldness. Because as he is, so are we in this world. The dictionary defines crisis as a time of intense difficulty. In a time of intense difficulty, we will have boldness. Because as he is, so are we in this world. You getting it? This is real life. This is right now. Crisis, a time of intense difficulty, trouble or danger, even life-threatening. 
A time when a difficult or important decision must be made. In the time of an important, difficult decision, we will have boldness. Because as he is, so are we in this world. Are you seeing it? Bible's all about right now. It's a right now book. The dictionary defines crisis as the turning point when an important change takes place. You will face several turning points in your life when an important decision must be made. But if you'll prepare your heart now by meditating in the written Word of God. What do I mean by meditating in the Word of God? Specifically, who Jesus is, what He's done for you, and who you are in Christ. And you'll find those things in the, uh, in the ministry of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, and in the promises of God in the Word. So when we go through the written Word of God, anytime we come upon a promise of God, we deposit that into our hard drive of our heart, right? We download that thing. All right, And we meditate in the promises of God so that uh, in the midst of an intense difficulty or challenge or trouble or danger, when an important decision needs to be made, at, at the moment of a turning point when we need wisdom, we will have boldness, not fear. We'll have peace, not anxiety. Because as he is, so are we in this world. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. And all these things are from God. Is that a poem that I just wrote? Where's that from? The written word of God. Where's that at in the written word of God? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. You know, the Bible wasn't written in chapter and verse, but I'm glad someone had the idea to go along and do it because it is handy, right? I, it, for reference sake, I say 2 Corinthians 5, 17, you, know, right, where, you can go right to it, right? So we're, the Bible's full of examples of crisis and people who know God being bold in the midst of it. Hello, 2021. Time for the bold ones to step forward. So we're just going to look at, we'll see how much time we have. Let's start with Daniel. Let's go back to Daniel. You know, Jesus is in the Old Testament, right? There are some major differences between the Old and New Testament. Uh, the, the, the most major is the covenant, the finished work of Christ, what Jesus did for us. He's given us a, a new covenant. Now there's nothing between us and God anymore. He solved the sin problem, right? We've received the abundance of his grace and the gift of his righteousness. Let's go back to Daniel chapter 3. What is it? Daniel 11.32 says, Those who know their God shall be strong and do exploits. <laughs> Don't you like that? Why? Because as he is, so are we in this world. You're going to see Jesus in Daniel chapter 3. Do you believe me? He's there. He's in Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus 
and Numbers and Deuteronomy and Joshua and Judges and Ruth and First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings and Ezra and Nehemiah Esther and Job and Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Song of Songs and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Lamentations and Ezekiel and Daniel. What's after Daniel? Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. Right? Hallelujah. So here we are in chapter 3, and we've got some young folks. Maybe they're mid to late teens. Friends of Daniel's. Daniel's nation has been taken over by a pagan nation. A nation that worships demons and does not worship the true and living God. Talk about a difficult time. Talk about a crisis. God's people have been taken over, again, because of their own stubbornness and hardness of heart. This pagan nation has taken them captive. They're in captivity. But this king is interesting, King Nebuchadnezzar. He, he, he doesn't, uh, he actually brings young people from the nation of Israel into his service. He looks around for those who are gifted in certain things, and he brings them into his service. Well, he brings into his service Daniel and, and some of his friends. And in Daniel chapter 3, we see three of Daniel's friends who are in a relationship with Jesus. And they're about to face a crisis. In the day of judgment, you'll have boldness in a difficult time of danger or trouble. You have boldness because as he is, so are we in this world. Now, I realize Daniel... Friends here, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which was their Babylonian names, I realized they weren't born again. You couldn't be born again yet. But you're going to see Jesus was with them because they trusted in the God of Israel. For time's sake, we're not going to read through all of the background of, of chapter 3, but Nebuchadnezzar, who's the king of Babylon, he makes an image of gold. And that's a common thing that man does is create, creates things to worship. And it's so odd because it's something they just made. How can you worship something you just made? But that's how human beings do. They'll create something that they think is beautiful and then they'll build their lives around it. We don't want to do that. God is not created. He's never been created. We want to create the, we want to worship the uncreated one. Right? The Alpha, the Omega, the one who has no beginning and no end. So the king makes this image of gold and it's about... Uh, 90 feet tall. This must have been impressive. Can you imagine that? About nine, nine stories tall or so. Gold, made of solid gold. And the breadth of it was, I guess, about uh, six cubits. I think it's about, I don't know, nine or ten feet. And he sets this massive image of gold, which can you imagine what the value of that would have been? He sets it in the province of Babylon. And he, he makes a decree, and he gathers together his princes, his governors, his captains, his judges, his treasurers, his counselors, uh, the, the sheriffs, all the rulers of the provinces. This is a huge deal, isn't it? This is the king getting all the leaders together to come to the dedication of this image that he had set up. And the, all these all this staff and cabinet members, and all, they all come together. And they gather, as the king has ordered, to this dedication of what he made with his own hands. And they're standing there before the image. And I'm just kind of 
summarizing this. And in verse 4, a herald steps forth and, and, and begins to post on social media and, and cry aloud and, and, and makes an Insta story and IGTV and, and YouTube videos and goes on Facebook and does everything he can to let everybody know that uh, a new decree is coming forward and it's for everybody. And he says, when you hear the sound of the king's music, fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. Who's, whoever falls not down, whoever doesn't follow the king's word, whoever doesn't fall down and worship the word of the king, whoever doesn't submit. Do you know what kind of government God wants us to submit to? Godly government. Godly government. You read Romans, Paul talks about the government we're to submit to is a, go a government that fears God. We don't submit to ungodly government. We don't. Why? Because it's ungodly. The moment someone tells me to do something ungodly, that's where my submission ends. That's true in the church. That's true of any minister. If, if they tell you to do something ungodly, that's where your submission ends. True in any relationship. The moment someone tells you to do something that's contrary to the nature of God, don't you do it. We are never to submit to ungodly authority. Never. We resist it. We stand against it. Hallelujah. Okay, I won't. I was going to continue, but we'll get back to Daniel here and Nebuchadnezzar. So whoever doesn't fall down and worship the word of the king, whoever doesn't change the way they act and their behavior and submit to the edict of this culture is going to be penalized big time. This was a death penalty. In the time of crisis, you'll be bold. Jesus. They will be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. This is verse 6. They'll be executed painfully. Painfully executed for everyone to see. Therefore, at that time, when all the people heard the king's music, they knew what they were going to do, right? <laughs> That's easy. Well, we could have fought. As soon as we hear those jams, we're hitting the deck, right? Spin the music, we're down. Right? Didn't matter if they agreed with it or not. They just didn't want to go in the fire. That's what ungodly authority does is try to intimidate you through fear so you'll hit the deck. That's how ungodly authority works all the time. It's always based on intimidation and fear. So at that certain time, the Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. Those were God's people, the Jews. Because there were Jews who were not listening to the music and to the word of the king. And they said, oh king, live forever in verse 10. You made a decree, king. Verse 11, and that whoever should, should not fall down, fall down, they should be executed painfully in the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. But king, listen, there are Jews who are not obeying you that you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. This is verse 12. 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, and they were given positions of authority. They were over provinces of Babylon, appointed by the king. Who have not regarded thee, they serve not your gods, nor worship the golden image which you have set up. And Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage, he's furious. What? I put those guys in their position. I gave them. I did what all that. And they're not going to obey me. He is furious. He's enraged. And he says, bring those three Jews to me. And they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do you not serve my gods? nor worship the golden image which I have set up. Now, he's going to give them a chance. I want you to listen to the proposition he gives to them. If you're ready, when you hear my music, and you fall down and worship the image I've made, it's the middle of verse 15, it will be well with you. All right? He's giving them another chance. So he doesn't just throw them in the furnace. He says, is this really true? I gave you these positions. Here's, how, here's what we're going to do. If you hear the music and you fall down in worship, it will be well with you. You got the first condition, right? So if they bow down, it's well with them. That's the first if. You got that? Don't forget that. You're going to see why it's important in a moment here. But if you do not worship, all right, if you don't, bow down to my gods you shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning fiery furnace and who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands now in the day of judgment crisis you will have boldness Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego spent time meditating in the promises of Jehovah what are some of the promises of Jehovah? Well, we can go over a lot of them. I think it's Psalm 121 that says, No harm will befall you. That the Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. He will watch over your life. Psalm 121. Psalm 91. Right? That He's, he's our shield and buckler. Right? He's our high tower and our fortress. Psalm 23, that will prepare a presence for you in the, uh, a table for you in the presence of your enemies. A ton of them. But these young men obviously spent time meditating in the Scriptures, in the nature of their God. God promises perfect protection in this world. That might sound ridiculous. That might sound like uh, unreal but it is for you. And you'll find that not by looking at what goes on in the world or what happened to so-and-so, but by studying the written word. And back in 1989, when I started reading these promises, my whole life changed. 
He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, you are my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he shall deliver me from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He will cover me with his feathers and under his wings. I shall find refuge and safety. And I began to meditate on these because it was obvious to me the world we're living in is a dangerous place. And I'm going to need him every day of my life. I hope you've realized that. <laughs> I hope you realize the place we're living in is, is dark and dangerous and confusing. And that's not a negative thing. I'm not, I'm not down on life. I'm up. I'm going to stay up. <laughs> I love being alive. And I love living in this world only because he's my father. This is not my home. Right? This is not where I, I want to live. I'm, heaven is my home. But I'm telling you that because these young men are right in the midst of a crisis, but they've prepared their hearts prior to the crisis so that they can respond properly to the crisis. If they had not prepared their hearts, Nebuchadnezzar would have started spinning the vinyl and they would have hit the deck. Right? You've got to prepare your hearts ahead of time. You don't have another day to wait to get in the Word. You don't have another day to wait to follow Jesus. I'm here to tell you that. You don't have another day to wait to passionately pursue Him. I'll get to that tomorrow. This is not like the laundry. You might be able to put that off uh, till later, but you can't put off your relationship with Him anymore. You don't have time to make decisions about your future that have not been uh, grown out of your passion for him. You see, our decisions are to be the fruit of our passion for him. Not making a living. Not having a, a nice home someday. Not on, on okay, I want to get married, I want to have a career. That's not how we live. Our decisions are, are the fruit of our passionate relationship with him. So we look at our future. We don't say, okay, I want to do that. No, I want to do that. No, no we're, we're in this passionate relationship with him that is evidenced by our meditation in his written word. If you're not meditating in the word, you're not in a passionate relationship with him. Just being real with you. I'm not talking about works. I'm talking about love. I'm talking about passion. So the business we're in, that the, the things we're choosing to devote our time to, don't come out of the advice and wisdom of man. They grow out of our passionate pursuit and relationship with him. Can you take that step? It's a new way of living. I surrender everything to you, Father, and I'm pursuing you with all of my talents, all of my time, all of my energy, all of my resources, and my future belongs to you. And every decision I'm going to be make is going to be born of this passion. Not financial security, not popularity, not the wisdom of man, but my pursuit of you. Hallelujah. So you, are, you where, are you there with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? I like to try and put myself right there. Just imagine what a, what a crazy situation this is. But their hearts are prepared. They already know that God's going to protect them, right? 
And I want to show you, and I've done this before, and I'll continue to do it. We need to hear the truth regularly in our life. But religious tradition has totally missed this. And there are some Bible translations that are simply wrong. You need to know that about Bible translations. There's some errors in them, okay? Because the Bible was written in Hebrew, not in English. The New Testament was written in Greek, not in English. So you have to study the Scriptures. And so, so we've got the scenario, right? The king says, if you hear the music and worship my idol, you're good. If you don't bow down, you'll be executed. Isn't that simple? Pretty simple choice. They have two choices. Bow down and worship and continue living their life the way they've been living it. Or to not bow down and be executed. Now, here's the response. Verse 17. Excuse me, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said, Have mercy on us, okay. Play the music. We'll bow down, please. We'll do whatever you ask. Nope. In the day of crisis, you will have boldness. Because as he is, so are we in this world. If it be so, if what be so? If you throw us into the furnace. Right? If it be so, so that you see they've already made up their mind, don't you? If you throw us into the furnace, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he might do that. If he's, if he's, if he's not at the office. No. And he will deliver us out of your hand. Okay. Is there any uncertainty in what they've just said? Hebrews 11.1 says, Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Sure of what we hope for. So if I'm not sure and certain, I need to meditate on His Word until I become sure and certain. There are times when I'm facing a challenge and I always want to launch into prayer mode, but I said, no, I need to get into the Word. I need to build myself up and meditate on what He said so when I do pray, it's with authority. Right? Need to put the oxygen mask on. Breathe a little bit. Right? Because it looks like the plane's going down. I need to get in the Word and fill myself up. And then I can speak. Then I can pray. Right? We pray the Word. We don't pray our troubles. We don't pray the things that are facing us. We say what He says. Because as He is, so are we in this world. So they're, they're sure and certain that the king of their nation just threatened them. Said, if you don't bow down, I'm going to throw you in that furnace. And they said, if you throw us in the furnace, our God's going to deliver us. Are you nuts? You're saying your God's going to protect you from flames. Right? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Now, verse 18 in the Hebrew says, but if not. He is not in there. If it's in your translation, cross he out. That, that they would never say that. It's not in the Hebrew. All in the Hebrew is, but if not. What if not? If you don't throw us in the furnace. I'm going to pause. This takes a little while. This people have been conditioned by religious tradition. Some translations say, but if he does not. In other words, if God does not deliver us, that makes no sense. It's not in the scriptures. That was some English translators who, had no, who didn't understand the nature of the Father. 
in their mind, they read that, that oh, uh, but if not, uh, if God doesn't deliver us, let's put that in there. That's what Bible translators do sometimes because their minds aren't renewed to the true nature of God. You study this out. I'm not making this up. But the King James has it accurate, but if not. And it just takes a little thinking to think about it. In other words, let's, let's say he did say that. But if God does not deliver, deliver us and we burn up, we're not going to serve you. Uh, does that make any sense? Come on, do you hear what I just said? So imagine these three guys say, well, if you burn us up, we're, we're not going to serve you. Does that make sense? Religion doesn't make sense, does it? No, what are they? they're defying ungodly authority. They say, if you throw us in that furnace, God will deliver us. If you don't throw us in that furnace, if you try and bribe us or manipulate us, be it known unto you, God, that we will not, be it known unto you, O king, we will not serve your gods. In other words, no matter what you do, we're safe. You're not going to change our mind. You're not going to intimidate us. You're not going to threaten us. You're not going to hurt us. God is protecting us, and we're not going to go with your agenda. That's why the king got so mad, right? Verse 19, then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury. If they would have said, if you burn us up, we're not going to serve you, he would have had them have a psychiatric analysis, right? He wouldn't have been mad at that. He'd be like, huh? Right? Why, why is he upset? Because they're saying, your threats don't mean anything to us. You're an ungodly authority. We serve a higher authority, and he is our protection. He's a shield all around us. No matter what you try and do to us, he's going to keep us safe. Doesn't compute with Nebuchadnezzar. He is, see, there are spirits at work in ungodly authority, and they want to they terrify you. They want to push you into submission. So Nebuchadnezzar gets furious. It says his visage, his, his whole countenance changes. This could have been demonic influence. And Shadrach at, at, at these three men, and he spoke and he commanded that they should heat the furnace seven times more than it was. So he's so mad. He doesn't just do what he said. He turns it up. Satan will turn it up. To see if you're committed. To see if you really believe what you just said. Yes, he will. He'll come at you and you'll say, okay, by his wounds I'm healed. You're going to turn it up. Do you believe that? Let's see if you really believe that. I'm going I'm to increase the symptoms. By his wounds I'm uh, 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 help, help somebody. <laughs> you got to put the word of God inside of you so deep, nothing can take it out. And I'm telling you, it cannot come any other way but meditating on it. Meditating on it. Meditating in it. Studying it. There's no shortcut to believing God. You might be able to believe God for a short period of time, but that will be challenged by the enemy. And if you want to see that thing all the way through, if you want to walk in the health he's provided for you, not just be healed of one thing, but walk in divine health, you're going to have to study the Scriptures and, and learn what he's provided for you through the finished work of his Son, because Satan's going to turn up the heat. And you've got to know it's a lie. It's already done. 
It's already done. I'm already healed. I'm already blessed. He's already provided for me. He's already leading me. He's already working all things out for my good. It's already done. No matter what the circumstances are trying to tell me. So he turns it up. Verse 20, and he commands the most mighty men. These are the Arnolds, you know, in his army. That's fearsome guys. The most mighty, the top soldiers in his army to bind Shadrach. So they see the furnace just heating up like it's never been heated up before. They see these intimidating, massive soldiers, the best in the army, the king, start binding them up. And they weren't nice about it. So you see they're having lots of opportunities to rethink what they believe, as we all do. You'll have lots of opportunities in life to question what Jesus said. Hallelujah. So they, they, they're binding them up. And they cast them, they throw them into the burning, fiery furnace. And these men, then these men were bound in their coats, their hosen, their, their hats, and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Verse 22, and because the king's commandment was urgent, he just lost his reason, and the furnace was exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew, killed those men, the most mighty men, that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now in verse 20 says, verse 23 says, these three men fell down bound in the midst of the burning fiery furnace. That would look like that's the end, right? In the time of crisis, you will be bold. So there they are on the floor of the furnace, but Nebuchadnezzar's watching all of this in verse 24, and he's astonished. King James is a stonied. Did you say that? You have King James up there? Interesting. I learn new words as I read the King James. Uh, and rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did we cast three men bound in the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto a true O king. And he answered and said, Look, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire. <laughs> and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Amen. Who is in the fire with them? Jesus. Do you know what? He was standing with them as they were responding to the king. Do you know he was with them months ago when they were meditating in the Scriptures? They cultivated this close proximity with the Son of God by believing His Word. Are you cultivating a proximity with Jesus, a closeness, an intimacy, by choosing to believe what He says no matter what it looks like? So, <laughs> He throws them in the fire. They stand up, and now Jesus is visible. He was there all along, but he's visible and the king can see him. See, Jesus is having mercy on the king, isn't he? He's showing himself to Nebuchadnezzar. You know what happened later in Nebuchadnezzar's life, right? He repented and began to worship God. So this, the king's trying to kill God's people and God's having mercy on Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> he said, I want to show myself to you. Leave these boys alone and look at me. I'm the real God. 
I'm the one who protects and delivers. Your image is a phony. Isn't he merciful? I've never saw that before. This is the mercy of God to Nebuchadnezzar. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were fine. They knew that. He didn't know that, right? He needed God's mercy in his life. Man, I've never seen that before. Woo-wee! <laughs> so it turns out that it says, uh, let's go to verse 27. So he runs to the mouth of the furnace. And uh, they all gather around. He calls them out of there. They all come, come out, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And it says, upon whose body the fire had no power. Upon whose body symptoms have no power. Hallelujah. Upon whose body the current circumstances have no power. Nor was a hair of their head singed. Remember God's love is exceeding abundantly. You know? So, I mean, they could have just maybe got the wind blew in and blew the fire out. No. God wants to demonstrate his glory through us. Right? So their bodies had no, uh, the fire had no power on them. A hair of their head was not singed. Nor were their coats changed. Their clothes were fine. Nor was the smell of fire upon them. Exceeding abundantly. This is the glory of God. This is the glory of God. Let's look at one more example before we finish. One more example. God wants to show His glory through you to the world around you. But you got to take some time and meditate in what He says. All right? Because what he says is true of you now. As Jesus is, you are in this world. But there, you're going to have opportunities to question that. Yeah. Opportunity. Now this was just a little thing that happened this weekend. Tiny little thing. But uh, Jennifer was leaving. The, the, the conference was in an estate. And she was stepping out onto the, the porch. It was a brick porch. And there was a, a, a mat there, she said that it kind of had like the lattice work in it, and she was in high heels. And she stepped into the lattice work of the mat and got caught and went down face first onto the brick patio. So I, I was waiting to get a call to pick them up because the conference was over. And uh, I get a call from Ryan. She says, Okay, Dad, right? I say, Yeah, I was, I was wondering. I hadn't heard from you guys. And she said, And um, they, they think you might want to take mom in to an urgent care or to uh, a hospital because uh, she's got a pretty good gash on the side of her head here and it looks pretty deep I said oh okay I said well she's fine she'll be fine and I said I'll be over to get you guys and uh, you see we, we raised our children that if they fell we didn't say oh baby oh baby baby oh baby we said you're fine come on get up you got the helmet of salvation on you're healed you're strong that's how we responded their whole life that's how we respond so I got up and these ladies are awesome Wonderful people. And, and I saw oh, she's got the helmet of salvation on. She's fine. We, we, we got that helmet of salvation on. And, you know, and they had, she, had wounds, you know, bleed a lot, right? But I knew that the life of Christ is in our cells. And that those cells are, are being mended and sealed. Okay? And so, so we, they had put a couple butterflies on. That's all they had. Butterfly, you know, uh, bandages. And uh, tried to do the best they could. So, so we got in the car, and we just, Jennifer's laughing and smiling. And, and uh, you know, she had some other marks on her knee, and, and uh, looked like she just did a little cage fighting on the side there. <laughs> and, uh, but we've been through all kinds of different things. But prior to those things, we're meditating in the reality 
of who he is and who we are in him. So I don't know what would have happened if, if we didn't know what we know, but I knew that, again, even before her head hit the bricks, the life of God is in her. So those are, she has special skin cells. You have special skin cells. They fix real fast. So we drive, and we, it turned out it was too late. The urgent cares were closed, so we went to uh, the, uh, one of the hospitals there and just so everyone would be all, feel better. And uh, it was fine. It was a good experience. Went into the emergency room. The doctor was great, really, really chill, uh, professional, didn't overreact. And uh, it turned out by the time we got into the room, and she's laying there, and they're looking at it because they thought they'd probably want to do some sutures. But it turned out the, it had the sealing that took place, it was just this nice, neat little line right here. And to get a nice, neat little line like that by hitting the corner of some bricks, I don't think. So the, the, God, the, the cells were sealing. So it was just this nice, th- he said, that he said, well, looking at the laceration, he said, it's, it's horizontal. There's no, the, the skin's not fighting against each other. It's clean and it's together. He said, I, I said, you know, could we told him we're, we're going to be, you know, getting on a plane the next day. And, and he said, well, we, we're going to put some glue on that. So I ran to Home Depot. I got some Gorilla Glue. And we just put it on there. And she's good. So, so he did his thing. You know, so he, he uh, put some glue on there. And we're smiling and laughing the whole time. But why do I, I share that? Because you respond to things differently. When you've spent time renewing your mind to the reality of the resurrection life of Christ in you. That could have been a whole different situation. And I could stand here all day and tell you testimony after testimony of our lives in the last 30 years and what God has done, where situations could have been life-threatening, serious situations, but as a result, we just kept smiling and kept on going because the life of God is in us. And let's finish with this in John chapter 11. His love is exceeding abundantly, and his love makes all things new. His love protects, his love heals, his love fixes, his love changes. In John chapter 11, and for time's sake, I just want to share with you a few verses, but this is the account of Martha and Mary, who are sisters, who have a brother, Lazarus, and they're very close with Jesus. And Jesus is not in their hometown, but they send word to him because their brother is sick. And Jesus gets the word that their brother is sick, but he doesn't uh, rush back and panic. He stays and does what God called him to do for another, I forget how long. I don't remember, a couple days at least. Yeah, but Lazarus was in the tomb four days, but I don't remember how long Jesus stayed. But anyway, he stays because, again, he's not moved by what others say is urgent. His life is lived by what the Father's directing to do. That's how we live, right? We're not moved by someone's urgent request. We're moved by what the Father's directing us to do. And so he decides, uh, he, he, he does what he needs to do, and then he returns to where Lazarus is. And by the time he gets there, Lazarus is in the tomb. We're not talking about symptoms increasing. We're talking about dead, okay? He's in the tomb for four days. To anyone else, it's over. But I want you to renew your mind to the nothing is impossible love of God that's in you. In the day of crisis, 
we'll have boldness for as he is, so are we in this world. He makes all things new. So, uh, let's see, is it Martha that gets to him first? Um, or Mary? Mary's still not. Yeah, Martha gets to him first in verse 21. She, 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 they, they're in the house. They hear Jesus is there. Martha takes off. Right? She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But listen to what she says. I love this. But I know that even now, whatsoever you ask of God, God will give it you. Jesus said under your brother shall rise again. Religious tradition, yeah, I know that in heaven someday. Remember God's I am. When is I am? Present tense conjugation to be right now, right? And he says to her, well, Martha says, when Jesus says he's going to rise again, he's talking about like in 10 minutes, right? And she's thinking in the after, you know, after this is all said and done, he says, she says, oh, I know he'll rise again. In the resurrection of the last day, Jesus said to her, I am. This is what we renew our mind to, right? Your wife falls and, 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 and her head gets cut open. I am. I am. I am's working. No worries, right? I am. Child falls, something happens. I am. I'm right now working in this situation. I'm your deliverance. I'm your victory. You're not even going to smell like smoke. You're not even going to have a scar. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Believe you this? Every time I go to a funeral, I'm ready. I'm just listening on the inside. Father, you want me to walk up there and open that casket? I'm not kidding. Been doing that for years. Just listening. And, and there are just times it's just, you know, you have to be led by the Spirit of God. And Jesus was. Understand that. He didn't just go around to every tomb and tell him to get out. Right? He didn't go up to every casket. He did go up to one that I can think of, the widow's son. Why? Because the Spirit led him to do it. But every funeral I go to, I'm just listening. If I go to a wake, I'm listening. What do you want me to do, Father? We're ready. Why? Because as he is, so are we in this world. I can't promise someone that I'll do that. I've got to be led by the Spirit. And Jesus was the same. Remember, he didn't go around doing this to everybody. He was led by the Spirit. So she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ. So she's really not getting it, right? Um, then Mary comes, similar conversation. Jesus asks where they've laid him. And, and, and this is Jesus begins to, to cry, to weep, because he, he, he sees how they loved him. But also, I believe, let's see, what is the verse where it says Jesus wept? Uh, help me out here. Shortest verse in the Bible. 35, thank you. Yeah. So he has Martha coming to him. She doesn't understand what he's about to do, he, even though he said to her, I am. Mary comes to him. She doesn't understand what he's about to do. He's seeing them grieve. I believe he's crying because they're not believing him. Not for his sake, but because they don't realize how good life can be if they would recognize him as the I am. I believe that was the source of his tears. I could be wrong, but I believe that it, he was moved and groaning inside wanting them to see him as he is so that they could have their friend back. And you know what happens? He asks them to roll away the stone. Sister says he's stinky. And he says, roll away the stone. And he calls him. He says, Lazarus, get out of here. 
And Lazarus comes out free. And Jesus said right before that, he said, uh, said I not unto you, if you would believe, you would see the glory of God. We are in that day where we need to believe God. I would love to tell you things are going to get better and all of this silliness is going to go away, but I don't know what's going to happen unless the Lord would reveal it to me. I don't know what 2021 holds as far as man's behavior and decisions. As far as my family, my future, I know that, right? He always causes us to triumph. We're going to fulfill our destiny. We're going to move forward. But I also know that I've got to daily get in his word. I've got to keep my mind in that. You know, I have to pull myself away. And I'm, man, I, I love working. I'm, I'm, just, I'm, on, I'm on that end of the spectrum where I could just work and never stop and never take breaks, and that's not healthy. But that's just kind of how I'm wired. I'm just go, 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 go. I have to, like, put the brakes on and say, sit down at your desk, get your Bible out, and take 15 minutes and meditate on the Word. And my body doesn't want to do it. I'm like, I got this to do, I got this to do, I got to get this done, I got this done. I just need this, blah, 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 blah. Nope. Sit down. Jesus himself bore my sicknesses, carried my diseases. As he is, so am I in this, or whatever it might be. And take that 15 minutes here and there, there, get that time in the morning. I want to get up and go in the day. The best way to get up and go is spend time with him. Right? Father, thank you so much for what you're doing. You are moving us forward. Thank you for this precious highway family. Lord, I just step back sometimes and I look at how you've led my family and how you've orchestrated this church, this ministry of people to come together to to know you in a new way and to go higher and to go into new levels of glory. And God, it's just amazing what you've done. We celebrate you and we ask your Holy Spirit to help us grasp the reality of your love for us to illuminate the eyes of our understanding that we would know the dimensions of your love for us that lord in difficult times we would respond with boldness because we're sure and we're certain that your love means our deliverance Your love means our protection. Your love means our resurrection. And we thank you, Lord. You called us out of the grave. And you raised us up and seated us with your son. You call us by name. You call us by name into this brand new life where you are our shield, our glory, and the lifter of our hands. God is so good. We want to invite you to continue to grow in the knowledge of His goodness, who He is, what He's done for you, and who you are in Him. Check out our websites at josephbosco.us and highwaychurch.us and begin living the abundant life He came to give you.